0: Good evening everyone. Good evening evening and welcome. My name is Jamie Bosket. I have the privilege of serving as the president and CEO of the Virginia Historical Society and I'm thrilled to be the first to welcome you this evening to the Virginia Museum of (coughs) History and Culture for the first of our lectures in the 2019 calendar year. So We're thrilled to have you here and I have to say I'm so thrilled to see so many new faces in the crowd this evening and uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, Seeing how this topic is one that has captivated our region and so many communities across the country and has been one of the absolute highlights of the year we just completed here at the museum uh, for our exhibition that several of our panelists were a part of. So seeing how there are so many new faces, I'd like to just give you a little background. The institution and organization where you are this evening is 188 years old this year. This is the oldest cultural organization in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We were founded in 1831, right here in Richmond. And over that 188 year period, uh, we have amassed a remarkable history collection to tell the story of the Commonwealth, some 9 million items. One of the largest history collections in the country. And we're very proud of history, and we should be, since we're ones and keepers of history. But I'll also be the first to tell you that this is an institution in transformation, one that wants to also make history. As we turn into something that is more representative of all Virginia, is more welcoming of all Virginia, and that is a place of convening and culture and excitement and vibrancy that casts along with where the city is and where the state is and is going. So uh, this topic is just so fitting to start the year as we look to fresh paint murals inspired by the story of Virginia, which I hope that you all will take a moment after the lecture to go see, if you haven't already, some remarkable talent on display (coughs) and an exhibition, I think, that speaks to the way in which we want to think about history in a new way, in a way that energizes and welcomes many, many more people. So uh, we're thrilled to have you here, and I hope that this won't be a one and done for you. So if you're new to us, come back, be involved. Tell us the types of programming, uh, programs and events that you'd like to be part of. Become a member. Uh, this organization, uh, unlike our wonderful neighbors next door, the BMFA, who we love, and the Science Museum, both of those institutions receive millions of dollars of state funds, and we receive zero. Uh, so it's through support and activities like this that we survive and we continue to be uh, an important part of, of the Commonwealth and its history and culture. So come back and see us for our next lecture, which I'll tell you is coming up this month, January 24th. Uh, That day on Thursday, the 24th, we're going to welcome Earl Swift, who will be speaking about his latest book, Chesapeake Requiem, A Year with the Watermen of Vanishing Tangier Island. A really remarkable story. And again, the galleries and the whole museum will be open to you this evening after we finish until 8 o'clock, so I hope you'll take some time to go and enjoy. So now, on to tonight's program. I will introduce our feature speaker and author, and then he will go ahead and introduce the panel. Michael Broth, also known as the Night Owl, has painted more than 200 public murals throughout Richmond, the United States, and Europe since 2012. He was awarded a Virginia Museum of Fine Arts Professional Fellowship in 2008 for his gallery work, and is shown widely uh, around the United States. Broth serves on the board of directors for RVA Street Art Festival, and has been instrumental in the curatorial direction of the organization since its formation in 2012. In 2013, he published Gated Community, Graffiti and Incarceration, a memoir detailing some of his own life experiences. In 2017, (coughs) he was awarded a commission by the City of Richmond to create an 18-foot-tall welded aluminum sculpture that will be installed in front of the Hall Street Library in Richmond's Manchester neighborhood. His latest book, Murals of Richmond, which I hope that some of you have already purchased, but if you haven't, please make the opportunity to do so tonight. We have it for sale. Uh, this book, Murals of Richmond, is available uh, to you and can be signed, of course, this evening, and is just a remarkable way of capturing uh, the essence of this movement, of the people involved in it, and the way it's transformed our community. Uh, and, in fact, I will hand this off since I have my own copy to someone here that's brave. How about you in the front row? Someone who's brave to sit right up front and center. I'm always thrilled. I'll bring it down to you in just a moment. You can get this signed. Uh, so if you would please uh, join me in welcoming Michael Broth, who will then introduce our panelists. Thank you so much for being here tonight.
1: Okay, my mic is good, so I'm just going to sit back down. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Jamie, um, for that very nice introduction. Um, Thank you, everyone, for coming to this event tonight, for coming to the museum. Uh, It's an incredible place. And I want to thank everyone on the museum staff for hosting and doing everything that is involved in the to put all this together. They've they've been incredible to work with. both for this event tonight and for the Fresh Paint exhibition, which is upstairs and is really cool, really challenging uh, exhibit that uh, uh, it's it was very surprising to find out that they were gonna do this. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, go see it. It puts a lot of history in an interesting new light. Um, <coughs> let's see. So, if anyone's ever seen me speak before, you know that I'll stop like this and then ramble on, so I will try not to do that. Um, Our talk tonight is going to be about 45 minutes. Uh, I've got some questions for the panelists here. We'll introduce in a second. We might stick to the questions. We might see where the conversation goes and throw the questions out. Um, And then at the end, we'll have a brief Q&A with some of you guys from the audience if you have questions. Um, So, yeah, basically the the Murals of Richmond book that hopefully – some people have and have seen and checked out. Um, that book, the, uh, I guess I should give a quick background. Really, like I, I feel like the kind of explosion in public art and murals here really happened, started about 2012 when the RVA Street Art Festival happened, or uh, began, and the Richmond Mural Project began same year, right around the same time. Um, and it, it really just, it, I think it, it brought like a It visualized a lot of the things that have been bubbling under the surface here for a long time. Lots of creativity, lots of energy, lots of uh, a new vision for the way that the city could be. And I I think that the murals uh, have been embraced so widely because they represent that. They represent um, people's vision for the future. Um, So that being said, uh, the book... I guess I should give a real quick background on that. The idea came about uh, in December of 2017 when my wife asked me, uh, Brianna, uh, Naomi, right over there. Um, she asked you know, if there was a, a coffee table book of murals. And I was like, no, oh. well, there, there will be. <laughs> um, I talked to Ward Teftit, who owns Chop Suey Books in Carytown, And he was like, yeah, yeah, put that book together. Let's do it. Uh, he, he so. He, uh, Chop Suey published the book. Uh, I want to say big thanks to Ward, Chop Suey, all the staff there, uh, Brianna, for the idea, and uh, uh, my family for being supportive of this all throughout. Uh, Noah Scaling, who's one of the artists featured in the Fresh Paint exhibit. Uh, he had a book called skull day that Chop Suey had put out beforehand. And if you see the two murals of Richmond's, basically takes the template of skull day He was a very good mentor. Uh, I want to thank all the artists who were in the book uh, I want to thank the people who funded the murals throughout the years and the photographers who documented the, uh, the work and the works in progress because without them, it would just be stories and no one wants to look at a book of just stories that are about murals. Uh <laughs> want <laughs> um, really nice, high-quality pictures. And they you know, documented a, a time in history that's really important for the city. Uh, that being said... Probably already rambled too much. We get to int- introductions here. Uh, I'm gonna thank our panel for being here. First up, Hamilton Glass. Hamilton uh, has a background in architecture. Uh, I, I'm going off of your bios, but I'm gonna, <laughs> like, I'm gonna try to spoon it down here. Um, but Hamilton's done work all over the city. I would guarantee you've seen it. Lots of um, Lots of angular shapes, lots of geometric things, uh, lots of uh, human figures, hands, faces. Uh, he does lots of work with the community. Um, super talented dude. He's very prolific and, and very much so about um, empowering the community. Would that be fair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, next up, Andre Shank. Uh, Andre is. Uh, <laughs> Andre is. Uh, let's see. Andre's a mad scientist. He's a genius. Um, (laughs) uh, His style is very unique. It's it's a look into his brain, I feel like. Um, You've you've probably seen his work uh, along the top edge of the diamond up on Boulevard. He and a Brazilian artist named Zay Polito collaborated on that for the 2017 Street Art Festival. I'd say square footage-wise, definitely the biggest mural in the city. It was all painted on 125-foot lift, uh, all hand-painted over seven days. Super hard-working, uh, very, uh, I, I don't know if uncompromising is the right word, but like a very distinctive style uh, that has been described as new cubism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we've got Christina Wing Chow. Uh, Christina is one of the younger generation of artists in Richmond. Uh, she is one of the co founders of Endeavor Studios down on Brook Road, uh, right in the arts district in downtown. Um, very, um,
2: hmm, uh, is it bubbly. Would that be like a perfect right way to describe it? Yeah, bubbly is good. Lots of bubbly imagery.
1: Um, I think I saw the first time that Christina used spray paint on a wall and was definitely like, took to it very naturally. It's like uh, the transition from seeing her painting work to murals is uh, it's a very natural transition. One of the, um, uh, there's there's a lot of people like myself personally, and sorry, I'm getting on a tangent <laughs> here, but like who don't transition super well. And I think Christina is like super natural transition from really interesting gallery work that, flows perfectly into wall work uh, in public art. Uh, Is that fair?
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: Cool. (laughs) And then we got Ed Trask down there at the end. Um, I I feel like most people here probably know Ed Trask's name at least. You've definitely seen his work around. He's, He's one of the most prolific and For a ton of people, myself included, um, I assisted Ed when I was really kind of getting my <laughs> first getting into this, and he's been incredibly generous in his knowledge and his opportunities and really bringing public art to the city, and and, and I think establishing Richmond uh, in in a lot of ways as as a city that's known for its public art. So, uh, Um, Well, that's intros, right? (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to jump right into some questions, and whoever wants to start out answering them, feel free. I don't have any specific questions. Like I said, I think we want to keep this more conversational. Uh, I'd like to start out by asking, you know, we always think about public art ha- and murals having an impact on the community. But what's a particularly impactful experience that you, know, that, 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 that you that you have had? What's an impact that painting out in public, creating art in public, has had on you?
3: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Where I've seen an impact as I'm actually working on the piece, you know, where you're working with different people from the different communities, whether it be with kids or, you know, adults from the neighborhood and from the area. Um, one in particular, I did a mural for Better Block down on, um, I think it's 25th, going into, like, four Hitch, Nine Mile Road. And it's kind of a forgetting, forgot, excuse me, it's kind of an area that, you know, could use some love. Use a little bit of attention, and when they did better, block um, a bunch of artists came in and do some work um, with the idea that the hope is you're using your creative talent. You're using, you know, um, color and line and form and composition and storytelling to to give a sense of optimism and to give a new storyline to a lot of those kids that are around there in that neighborhood. To show them that you can change this and you deserve it, you know that's the, one of the one of the main goals. So you know, I, I did a large mural of a of the kid playing violin. Um, uh, I, I I don't know why that, that image just was sticking to me, and I was working with the owner of the building, and we went through imagery and imagery until they finally was like, this is what I like. Um, and then I had a show that was opening up about four weeks later, and. Um, a VCU film crew came in, of of new VCU students, and they were filming me, and uh, this uh, young lady that was behind the canvas filming, she goes, you know, um, what what murals have you done? I don't really know your work. And I was like, well, I've done a couple things here and there, and then I was like, I just did this piece um, on Nine Mile Road, or right before it turns to Nine Mile Road, and she looks, looks at me, she's like, which piece? And I, and I tell her, and I'm, and I'm looking at her, and she just kind of starts tearing up. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what's up? And she goes, I lived right around the corner from that. And we, don't, we didn't know like who did it. We just knew like it was something. My mother took me and showed me this painting to show that anything can happen and that things can change in the neighborhood. So I'm sitting here being interviewed by this kid. She's bawling now. I'm bawling. Everybody in the room's bawling because it's such an impactful, powerful thing. It doesn't have to be an overt political statement. It can be a mark. It can be a line. It can be a sense of color. But it's just enough to trigger that sense of change in the people's eyes.
4: Since they are something that are experienced, which is a lot different than a painting. Um, they, they are experienced in the built environment. I think and um, that people take totally differently. You know what I mean? They you 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 know there can be a mural that one person hates and then or loves, and then another person loves it for a totally different reason. Um, and so because you know we get to. Create these things. Um, I think um, that they naturally will just bring bring experiences like that, um, and so um, I I have to. I'll bring up Lohk. I don't know if you all know about Lohk, but Light of Human Kindness was a was a mural that I did um, with Patience Salgado, um, and it was a mural that was. Meant to inspire a thousand kind acts and long the long the short uh, story is that we partnered with the Martin Agency, and this wall was uh, supposed to be interactive, and so um, it it was uh, connected to a website, and you could put in your your kindness story, <coughs> and and it would light one of those a thousand LED lights, um, and there was an interactive portion to it in which people could hold hands and there were hot spots on the wall and it would make the lights do animation and things like that. And that wall, um, <coughs> I could sit here all night and tell you stories about people walking past that wall and coming to see that wall. And that that wall literally from those stories and meeting those people and having people come to read the stories on that wall, um, it literally changed the trajectory of me as an artist, and me kind of understanding my accountability to the community of the art that that I was going to put up, the art that I would put up. Um, And so I think whether an artist is super concentrated on the community or not, we all kind of have that accountability. And I think we all are fully aware that whether we're doing it to piss you off or not, (laughs) <laughs> we all are kind of aware that those interactions are happening, and that's what makes it fun for us. If that makes any sense, um, and that that's what keeps us doing that. It's like we get to we get to put our diary up on the wall, um, and then sometimes we don't want a good response from it. Um, and sometimes, and they're not supposed to live forever. A lot of people think that, but. Um, yeah. Um, but hopefully, did I answer your question right?
5: <laughs> well, and I don't have a, a specific uh, story. There's so many, but that was always what drew me to murals initially. Was just you aren't uh, creating in your own safe space. You're you're out in public. You know, people are coming and going. You're having conversations like kids are coming up and, you know, painting a little section or whatever, it's just you're very much interacting with whoever happens to be walking by or whatever, so that part's super cool.
1: So, Hamilton, you kind of um, touched on this, and, and actually, I mean, you really kind of did, but like structure like where where it's being experienced um you know i think obviously we live <coughs> in this age where like i can you know pick up my phone and look at literally what's being painted in I know, you know in brazil right now in in wherever you know you can see on instagram every everybody's mural art because that's kind of the way it's experienced by probably 90 percent of the people who will ever see it in that regard, do you think that context of where it's being created matters um, if more of the viewership is seeing it online than in person? And I guess I'm asking, you know, like, does the history, does the the weather, does the street, does, you know, do do those things matter as much? I, I
4: think, personally, me, I think yes and no. I mean, I think again, that goes to the intention of the artist. And I, th- I also think, so those pictures that you see online, like, you're not experiencing that mural either. So you're, you're seeing a picture of it, and it's not, you're not really experiencing that mural. Um, <coughs> I, I think that context matters, but I also think it's interesting when context does not matter. I think it's interesting when an artist chooses to not think about those things and why he chose not to think about those things. And I'm, I'm very intentional in my work and most of my stuff is very contextual and I work with the community and things like that. Um, but I think when you get too many of those things that do not, that do not think about the context that's when the community gets angry. They're like, what is this? And, and the, those things get thrown, a- want to, they want to throw those things away. And so um, I think that most artists are aware of that. So why does that happen? Um, and I think that that's interesting. But I do, in, in, in general, think that it's super important to do that because you as the artist, are, you know, creating a dialect with the, the people who walk past those things. Every day, um, to, to say the the pe- those pieces you create every day.
1: Yeah,
5: I, yeah, I mean, Andre is good. they try. have to live with it, is all.
3: <laughs> 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 it's, I mean, I, it's it's weird because it goes through you know conversations that we've had quite often with younger g- generations of artists. Artists that, for me, when I started, you know, there wasn't the a social media. Outlook, and for a lot of people that don't know, I mean, it's going to sound really crazy, but I just wanted to make art, and I wanted to make a mark, and I wanted people to see my art. So many years ago, um, like '80s and then uh, late '80s and then '90s, I was doing this on hmm. buildings, and I was doing this illegally. <laughs> <laughs> but by then, when I, but I will say, when I was doing this, it wasn't for this sense of appeasement that I wanted to get you know, 200 lights, I think it was because I felt like I had some kind of mission to make a mark. And in a way, it was a beacon call, that building should be a library, this is run down, or this this neighborhood should look at this. I wasn't thinking about the longevity um, of the piece, and I wasn't thinking of the impact. Once my work started getting more and more known, and I started getting more commissioned work, and that then there was the battle. And I think it happens a lot now that murals and street art is getting so big. Where do I want that work to be seen? If it's in a gallery, then you immediately put walls on it and then you have a prescribed um, amount of people that go into this. It's almost like, now nah, go into this bourgeois gallery and look at my fine presented artwork. Or you have a piece of art that is out there for the public, for every socioeconomic bracket, for, for every skin tone, for every, anybody anybody wants to see that art, it's there. Obviously, a lot of people aren't going to like it, and some are, but it brings up the conversation. The fact that we're up on the stage now, 10 years ago, we would never be on the stage having this conversation, so it shows that a lot of the people out there now are seeing that it makes a positive stance, and it's not a specific broken window. So when I see a a mural up, my first reaction is, why is it there? What community is it affecting? What story is it telling? How long is it going to last? How is it done, the medium, and do I want to see it there forever? I think about it in my daughter's eye. she's 15, she's going to see it through social media. But I know just because she's awesome, she's also going to want to see it in face in person too. And so if social media does that, if it makes us want to go look at something and investigate then it's great. As long as we just stop it and actually have the visceral you know, experience with it face to face.
4: Something super important. Um, just, I think our progression as as artists, like, th- it's a progression thing. You, my first mural here was a <laughs> was a politician holding a gun to his head, uh, and so there was no accountability in that. Um, I'm, I thank God that I did that, but <laughs> there was there was no accountability in that. And so uh, as you progress as, as an artist or as a muralist, you kind of then kind of understand, like, hold on, people are walking by here, people, you know, this. I have accountability to this, this neighborhood or this this community, and, and then you start asking those questions, but when you're just trying to go, you know, trying to get up anywhere, you, you know, you can, you have no accountability, and I think that that process is, is kind of cool. I mean, the neighbors won't, but... <laughs> So I I I try to tell that story and tell people about that. Just like graffiti, right? Graffiti. Everyone's like, you go, you know. There's there's rules to graffiti. Everyone knows that, but they don't know the rules. And so, when when you get most graffiti is on on dilapidated buildings or something like that. But then that one person raised their hand and said, "Well, somebody did it on my car." And then, well, that was a kid who just wanted to get up anywhere. He was this lone, you know what I mean? It, it's, a, it's kind of a language thing. And so well,
1: to that end, do you self-censor in any way? You know, like, whether it's... I mean, personally, <coughs> I've, I've worked with tons of clients and done tons of different styles to find the right approach that matches that client or to give them what they're looking for or to... <laughs> I, I've, I've painted things that are full of offensive imagery in areas that are private warehouses essentially because like, I'm like, I'm not gonna put this in a place that there's an elementary school down the street. But like, I mean, that's me. like I, I know that you know like a couple of us do tons of client work and a couple are, like I kind of alluded to, have more of like, this is my style. Like, where do you guys feel like Is there a line on self censorship?
2: I think only. I don't think you should censor yourself, but you need to keep in mind that you're not at the same time potentially offending other people. I think that's like that's that's the minimum line I think that you should not cross. Is um, because I'm I'm a very visual person, so I don't necessarily think that context really means so much, like if I see a piece, I appreciate it for what I'm seeing. Um, of course, if there's a backstory and it relates to the community, mm. that's that's great, that makes it better. But I don't necessarily think it is, it is something that the piece needs to have. Um, so when I think, when it comes to your style, you shouldn't See, this is the tricky thing because you don't you don't want to want to make anyone upset, but you should also not not be true to what you want to show.
3: Yeah, it's I mean, one of the things that, that I've just been lucky for years to be able to even do this, but one of the things that I think I've really tried to think about is if I was um, painting a sign on the side of a building for a company, or I mean, I've mean, i got to do a piece for Lyft, which you know, I never thought I'd ever say, except that there's a lot of corporate clients that I'll have. Whether it's just a straight sign, or whatever it might be, I'm gonna try to take pride in how I do it. And I wanna try to take pride in the way I'm doing it. And um, stylistically, you're probably gonna see that I painted it, you know. unless, you know, if you come and look at a, a sign I did, or, or a mural for a specific corporate client, or for a, a restaurant, whatever it might be, Majority of people are going to say, oh, I trash painted that, My name was not." but I will try to change it to what the client is just because, honestly, it's, it's, it's a job right now. And, and, and if, if I can have this awesome uh, collaboration with a young business owner in a neighborhood to try to give some kind of identity to that business in that neighborhood, then... I'm not going to worry so much about my own ego and my style, I'm just going to try to make, make something that makes sense for the whole neighborhood and for the, for the client, you know? Does that mean I'm selling out a little bit? Maybe, but um, I'm not going to be the person that does, a, you know, a dragon stabbing a kid in the face next to elementary school. I, I, I'm not going to be that person. And I think none of us really are either. Sorry, I no, I just painting an awesome image. I'd like to
1: ask uh, Andre. I know, I know. You know, again, I alluded to this in the beginning. You have a style that, like, is is your style. Um, and I think I don't know if this is the right way, but maybe because of that, like, you don't do as much commercial work because you. Like, this is how I paint. Um, do did you like? Is does it feel good when you like find the right client match? Yeah, like, absolutely. How do you fi- how do you find that?
5: Um, I don't know. <laughs> Most of the time, they find me, which is really cool. But um, but yeah, you, I mean, I, I don't work as often because of that. Um, but that that is what I've been thinking about while we've been talking about this. Is is there is a difference between client driven work? And personal work and murals, you know, have largely turned into, you know, the majority of it is client work, um, and it's it's not very often that you get to do a personal mural, um, you know, especially to get paid to do a, a personal mural. So, so, yeah, I mean, I think there is, uh, you know, um, w- when you're working for a client, um, obviously you need to... To uh, satisfy their needs first off, and and hopefully you can do that in a way that you don't have to compromise some part of your style to do that. Um, and it all it all sort of depends. Yeah, in terms of my work, uh, you know, a lot of times it's somebody likes my stuff, and and then uh, they just they like what I've done in the past, and just want something similar as opposed to them having a design that they want me to or having an idea that they want me to come up with a piece around or whatever. Have you guys had
1: <clears throat> bad experiences? I mean, like, you know, like, what's, what the, what's like, the worst experience you've had
5: <laughs> out Painting a mural?
1: I mean, like, or, like, dealing with a client. I mean, you don't have to be specific, like, oh, you know, Lyft wasn't terrible. <laughs> but, like, you know, I don't know. What's a... Uh, this person's phone number is...
4: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like nobody's posting a bad story or bad experience on, on Instagram to like, like it's 110 degrees out here today and I dropped a gallon of paint on a car, you know? Like. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know this dude that painted a painting over by this one thing that got painted over the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> No, there, I mean, for me, there's a ton of stories. There's, you know, you're 45 feet up painting something, when you're going, it's really windy, and then you go, oh! And you look down, there's three cars that are now speckled white, <laughs> that's like that's happened, and you just deal with it, and that's part of the challenge of it. It's so much fun. But, um, uh, I mean, and it goes back to, when you're talking about the integrity, you know, two of the jobs I went out of town uh, this past summer to do, when we were going through the the drawing and the sketches and all of this, the person's like, "Well, we need to talk about this. We want to see it this way. We want it to look like that? We love your work. We love the way you just did that. And this piece went to look like this." You're like, "Cool." You give them the painting, the the thing. They go, "Hmm, I'd like to have a bigger cow right there." Could you <laughs> put of shoes right there? And you're like, oh. "Okay." And then by the time you know you're, you're done, they go, "Oh, by the way." We're so stoked, we want it to be your mural. (laughs) But it's got to look like this, too. So that's the you're painting it, you're 40 feet up, speckling cars, painting not your mural at all.
5: That's what happens sometimes. Anybody
1: else want to share a bad one? (laughs) Yeah,
2: Uh, actually,
4: sorry. Um,
2: So this also kind of relates to some other stuff that we've been talking about with, you know, you might paint something that someone thinks is beautiful, and then the next person is like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. So this was one of those times um, I was assisting, I was assisting another artist, so it wasn't my design. But um, we were painting, there's two girls facing each other. Uh, one was black and the other one was like a mixed race, whatever. And there was nothing offensive about the piece at all. Um, but there was this couple that drove past, and they rolled their windows down. They are like, who's painting this? We're taking a break. So they are like, oh, that's us. And uh, they were they were like, this is absolute <coughs> poop. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but <laughs> except, this is the worst effing poop that I've ever seen.
4: You do your job, but um, but but usually keeping that consistency is what actually gets people calling you. So I mean, um, yeah. But when, when the client's huge, you kind of you kind of bend backwards and go. And then that, so when that happens and you bend backwards and I don't know about you guys, but I just don't show the work. I mean, and it's it's kind of sad because that showing the work is how I get more work. That means the paycheck sacrificed, you know? The paycheck (laughs) went over that. So so I got more than one work out of that paycheck. But I mean, I'm just being honest. Uh, And that's that's how those things kind of work.
1: We've just got a couple minutes before we jump into some Q&A with the audience. Um, I I guess to that end, I'll just ask, you know, this this sort of like post on the the book um, and murals in Richmond, murals of Richmond. What's what's y'all's favorite piece in in the city? Like, what's what's the one that you're like, oh, that got
3: painted on the (laughs) car?
5: I love that strawberry moonshine or whatever. It's always been my favorite. It's It's going to be fading away. It's all spray paint.
1: (laughs) And direct sun. Would you say where that is? Grace and Harrison.
3: I'm, that's a oh, hard one.
1: Really I mean, good. I'll say mine. Aries, the uh, the still life with the fruit. It's down Seventeenth Street Farmers Market. It's like facing the wrong way against a one way street, so like very few people have seen it. But it's just <laughs> <laughs> incredible, uh, incredible context, and just uh, it's a uh, you know this uh, the oldest, most stereotypical subject matter ever. It's a still life of fruit, but it's but it's so contemporary it's so awesome.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I really <laughs> like that mural, too. It's right by my studio. Mm-hmm. And second, I love the fact that, I don't know if people understand, but a lot of the stylistic qualities of him, Pixel Pancha, and all those people that were down for that first mural project, they're just so talented that they're going from little sketches, ideas, little sketches like this, and they go right to the wall. And if you go have a chance to look at that mural, you'll realize the expertise that guy he has. It's it's beautiful. Um, and yeah. yeah. Well, we did a lot of it with an extension pole and a roller, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, there was no lift for that. So the highest parts are all just done with an extension pole. From the ground. Yeah.
2: I think it's too hard to pick a favorite because, you know, you follow all these amazing artists and so you know the rest of their work. And so when you see a piece by them, you kind of also remember all the other pieces that they've done. And you love that piece, but you're also like, oh, like, you un- understand like this artist is amazing. So there are just so many good pieces. It's mm-hmm. it's just too hard to pick just one favorite.
1: What's one you like?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all, all the ones that, that you guys have already mentioned. But I also really like um, Smith. That how you say it, Smith? D. Smith. Yeah. Um, the one in Carytown. I can't remember exactly where it is. But all of his work is so Karen amazing.
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. A lot of the ones that, that come to mind are the ones that are not in the direction that you drive past. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> serious. Like, the, uh, Boca, the one, the piece yeah. of the little, the drummer boy, he's drumming. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. And the piece near a sidewalk, um, oh, what is her name? Uh, yeah, rack. I mean, it's beautiful. And it's it, a lot of people have never seen that. If you go drive past Sidewalk Cafe, um, uh, Roland and uh, Main Street, right when you pass Sidewalk, look back behind you, and there's <laughs> a lovely girl in <laughs> a little alley thing there. But it was one of the first ones done. It's gorgeous. And she was a 20 something year old Polish girl that came in and knocked it out so fast. It was, it's, oh,
5: it's lovely. Which but one is that? What is the book for? Right, girl doing this,
3: <laughs> she's like
1: holding like an
5: orb. Got,
4: like, an oh right, orb. right. Yeah, yeah. Last, <laughs> uh, la- la- last, quick answer. Mine's will be um, it's not, it's not the piece, it's the artist. Gia, his his piece on, uh, is that like Gray Street? Yeah, with yeah. the with the pigeons, mm-hmm. and it's not so much the piece. I, again like, like Christina said, uh, his work to me is so so filled with. Uh, And it's it's just insane. Uh, And I just, if he was here, I would. (coughs) Well, he puts a lot of thought into his (laughs) work. Yeah, he puts a lot of thought into his work. And uh, you can kind of see it the textures and things that are on his piece. His stuff um, is great. Uh, But the one, it's got two pigeons that are facing facing each other or facing away? Facing each other. That's how much I like that piece. (laughs) It's, It's really good. staff here. Look for the mics. So I uh, okay. so enjoyed the uh, talk tonight. Um, a question for
0: you. We've been talking a lot about painting on walls. There's another kind of wall that's been in the press a lot lately. <laughs> if it were built and, and, you were invited, and you were invited to paint on it, <laughs> what would you paint and which side would you paint on
3: to think a, a certain way about something that's in power that you want to change. And that's been a lovely thing from, from flyer making to, uh, to, to even the earliest of mark, marks you'll see on walls and stuff from you know, going back to the 1800s and 1900s. It's always been something to bring people together like, come together, let's fight this. And um, some people have that responsibility. You know, if you look at uh, in, in Jerusalem and different murals that you see around there, they're, they're gorgeous and they're beautiful. Some are so appropriate to make you think of what is happening in those certain areas. And um, if you could actually produce a real thought-provoking mural on, yeah, steel, concrete, wall, whatever that might be, um, it might be actually kind of an amazing thing to actually have the story. I mean, there's a there's a giant culvert in, in the late 70s that Judy Baca um, went to the Army Corps of Engineers and said, I want that ugly, gross, disgusting cement wall, and I want to tell the history of Los Angeles. And she did. It's the, one of the largest murals in the world, and it's the history of Los Angeles done through the eyes of kids. And it's been painted through you know, some really at-risk kids have done it over the past 30 years. And that was an ugly thing, and that was telling the story. So if we could paint on that wall, some kind of historical story that talks about the division that we're in right now and the extreme polarity. I mean, I I feel nervous all the time now. Like, I'm sorry, but I do. So if I could make that and put that on the wall to have some kind of sense of healing, then I would do it in a a heartbeat.
2: years I mean.
5: Well it's an opportunity for for it to be painted over. I mean uh, Ham said something about it where it's like it's very easy to think about murals and street art like fine art and they really aren't anything alike in that fine art is <coughs> to last um, you know for as probably as long as possible really and, Murals, at least in my eyes are, you know, it's, it's a paint job and paint isn't permanent and it's going to fade. It's, it's going to need to either be touched up or, or painted over. And, um, and so, yeah, they're, they're going to fade and and hopefully it's an opportunity to, to either redo it or paint something new. Um, you know, I, I don't think it should be looked at as, as a negative
4: thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a chance to turn it into something else. Or it, it's, and its story can be told by,
0: if it does get repainted, it's value. in that. A question from a practical standpoint. You talk about the sketch and the theory, etc., but how do you actually go from this little sketch in your hand to a huge wall? How do you transfer, you talked about someone who just did it, like sketching,
3: but how do you get that piece on the wall? I mean, technically, I think we all use different techniques, and I've used so many different ones. Um, One method is just grid it from inch, do your drawing in inch squares, then draw out your one-foot squares, and you actually graph it out. Another one is by using the pounce system, which is kind of like Michelangelo. When he, was, when he would pour the wet cement, he would have his workers, he would give them a sketch. They would put a little grid in front of them and then draw out the bigger sketch. Then he would poke holes through the paper. And then he would take the paper and stick it on the wet, the, um, wet concrete, and then he they would pounce chalk through it, pull it, and then when he got up there, there was a little chalk line. We use that all the time in sign painting and mural painting. You project it. Um, some people feel like there's, you're cheating if you project. But if you want to get an image up fast, project it and draw it. Um, or you draw it by hand. You know, one of the things that I'm so envious um, of Andre is that he has such a lovely visual um, identity and like his own visual language, which is really cool. He doesn't need to project. He sees in his head, and he can get the perfect line and the, the perfect color and the perfect shape. Without having to do that, you know, and I'm envious of, of some of the, of Guy and some of these other artists that aren't projecting that just have such a fine hand. But yeah, there's a bunch of different little techniques I like got. Thank you. Thanks,
5: Adam. <laughs> I, I do project all the time, though. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> what it needs to get done fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have a question for Michael think about three-dimensional graffiti, I'm not graffiti, I'm sorry, three-dimensional murals, (laughs) and I'm referencing your piece that just unveiled on, uh, in front of the Hull Street Library, and if you haven't seen it, everybody, look at today's (laughs) newspaper in front of the uh, uh, style section, culture section, thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much, and and, and thank you for uh, making an introduction that made the whole thing possible. I don't know where I'd be without that, without, without you. Um, so thank you. Um, and uh, uh, I didn't expect to have to answer any questions anymore. <laughs> at all. Um, I, 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 I think it's, it's uh, yeah, I get a commission to do a sculpture for the city, um, and I think it looks pretty much like most of my abstract sculptures, or like, uh, murals and paintings, um, and it was an incredible experience, and uh it's definitely interesting, different, uh, different headspace to be doing something that's meant to be permanent, as opposed to what's been discussed—that murals will fade. Um, and this piece is made out of aluminum, and it's welded, and it's—if a car ran into it, it would hurt the car. <laughs> um, so um, that's that's an interesting head switch, um, and and uh, something I'm really interested in pursuing more. Uh,
3: Other panelists
5: <laughs> consider that. Hopefully, it opens the door for more. I mean,
4: yeah, step they're, up there they're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I will say real quick like um, a few years ago before the bike race, uh, um, um, us, us fellows up here, uh, I don't think Christina was paying walls at, at that point, um, we were. We, we were um, contacted to do a project around the city to do some uh, murals, I guess, or activations of, of spaces. And Andre had this idea to basically, uh, using some of his background to take uh, big blocks of foam and coat them in uh, essentially like a thin layer of concrete and paint those and drop them off. And they look like, you know, big sculptural objects, uh, very simplified, but, uh, and essentially using those as portable murals. Um, and that kind of really like, got my head spinning on, like, oh, there's there's, there's <laughs> an interesting way to take this from the one-dimensional or two-dimensional surface to a three-dimensional object that people are interacting with in a much different way.
3: And
1: so
5: you, you continue that answer <laughs> for you guys. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it just leads to more public art. I mean, whether it's murals, um, which have been really popular, I, I think it'd be great to to see a, a bunch of sculptures um, all over the place. I mean, it, hopefully it continues.
0: For for businesses to get tagged a lot in graffiti, uh, do you consider a mural as a deterrent <coughs> to that? Uh, and if so, just ballpark, what would it cost to paint a mural on a wall behind you?
4: Just a ballpark. <laughs> I, well, I'll say, um, when I came to Richmond, to Richmond, and I did my first mural. That was the first comment I got. Like, this is going to uh, this is going to encourage more graffiti on my place. I literally I, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. The mural arts program in Philadelphia is the biggest <laughs> arts uh, uh, program in the United States, um, and it started off of combating and so murals do that, and you'd be hard-pressed, you won't find many murals on them that, that have graffiti on them. Um, now, again, that, that little kid who, who spray painted somebody's car, that's going to happen. Um, but they, putting a mural up is like someone taking ownership of something. It's, it's taking ownership. It's part of that graffiti language that I was speaking about before. and so. Um, it's, and I'm not saying every wall needs a mural on it, but I, what I am mm-hmm. saying is that it, it really, it takes ownership of that thing. And so it, it makes, it beautifies that part, if done correctly, it beautifies that, <laughs> that, that portion. And so I, I, I'm in the school of thought that it combats it, um, and it, 99%, of, 99% of the time it does. Um, again, I can't blanket statement that because they're, you know, Someone can come do anything. But you, I mean, just, you know, go around the city. You won't see many marks on the murals. Um, and that's that's for a reason. Um, I can't answer the estimate question. That's my question. <laughs> uh, it's like, a lot of people ask that question in um, the image. It's like me calling you and saying, hey, I've got a leak in my house. <laughs> How much to fix it? <laughs> i got to come look at your link and see, and, see, and see what's going on. I don't mean to disrespect by saying that. I'm just saying it's, there's the imagery.
3: Different artists doing things, and when I was um, obsessing over doing the legal art and I was touring in a bunch of different bands and traveling all around the country, seeing these little pockets, these regional sections, it was word of mouth. And then the way these little scenes would come to you were through books or through bands that were traveling in, be like, Have you seen what this artist is doing? And you're like, No, 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 no. You didn't have you know, the social media thing to see, and so you know, that convergence of. Um, When social media came, the information age hit. Then all of a sudden, the the fact that you were stylistically connected to so many different people, whether it be from Helsinki to to Brazil to Spain, all of a sudden you were seeing all those little pockets and they were starting to come together. Um, It inundated you with so many styles and so many things that you could do as an artist. It was empowering in a way. the detrimental sense also became. We were talking about this. The actual, the, the absolute addictive sensibility of software makers. When you know, you want that sense of appeasement. Um, if 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 I'm on Instagram and I put a painting that I really like and I put it out there, I, I'm sorry, but sometimes I do want to see. 250 likes? <laughs> what does that mean this painting sucks? No, it doesn't. And it, it's terrible. So it's really hard in that way. As far as using it as a tool to advertise to yourself as an artist, it's fantastic if you get past those algorithms. Jeff Soto, an artist recently who he was here at the First Street Art Festival, put out a post that said: if as a responsible artist, you cannot be too tied to one social media. Networker, You can't be tied to, to just one certain way of getting your name out there. And he's right. And so it might not be Instagram, might not be MySpace. You yeah, know, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's going to be the next thing, whatever, as an artist, it's your responsibility to get your name out there in all the different networks you can and to use those networks to see what's happening all around you at the same time.
2: Yeah, I really, I really think that social media is there. There are two sides to it because now everybody has has Instagram or whatever, mostly Instagram. Um, at least that's what I follow. So many artists that I like on, and you you need it, to, you need to have it to keep up with everyone else who's who's posting who's posting all their artworks, and there is this kind of pressure that. You know, we live in such a fast-paced society now, where you're you're scrolling past, and you'll see like a hundred <laughs> posts in like the span of like a few minutes, just because you're scrolling so quickly. And you know, you put a heart here, heart mm. here, or whatever. But there's this pressure to keep up and to constantly post because of your. It's almost a duty to your followers. Um, so it is a good thing because, of course, you know, like Ed just said, it does connect you to all these people that you could have never met otherwise. Like I've met a bunch of random people from other countries even just through social media. And so on one hand, it's really great, but it's it's a weird double-edged sword where it also kind of kills you at the same time.
5: (laughs) So Michael, Hamilton, Andre, Christina, and Ed will all be in the lobby uh, following the program to answer all the extra questions that you have. (laughs) And to sign copies of the book that they all appear in. And I just want to remind you also that our galleries are open until 8 o'clock this evening, and you can see the work of some of these wonderful artists in our galleries, upstairs in fresh paint, murals inspired by the story of Virginia. Well, thank you so much.